you know, last year we went uh, family vacation, and we actually went so far north in Maine that we actually kayaked into Canada. <laughs> you know, we jumped out of a kayak and swam in Canada, 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 <laughs> Canada, and then we like got out and, you know, we were, we broke the law. We crossed international, you know, borders illegally without our passport. We were catching Canadian fish. <laughs> so this year we were like two hours south of Canada. <laughs> so we were a little bit closer to America. But it was a good time. We spent some time on a lake and Elias did a lot of fishing. How many fish did you catch? Zero. Okay. He said zero. And it was this big, right? <laughs> Oh, this big, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, hey, let's turn in our Bibles to a couple passages. Um, my heart has been, you know, burdened in, in one way. You know, uh, we are, I mean, you guys know because you're here, <laughs> but this is a church plant, right? We're planting a new church. And uh, has anybody ever planted a church before? They've been part of one, right? So that counts. Yeah. You guys were part of Laurel, right? That was a church plant. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, we were, we were in China, so that kind of counts, I guess. So anytime the church plant happens, there's a couple stages in church planting. One is, is there's the honeymoon phase. You're all excited and gung-ho and, you know, you're amazed at what God's going to do. And you're just, every week you're excited, you're excited, you're excited. And then eventually the honeymoon wears off, right? And we got some married people here. You know, the honeymoon eventually wears off and you're not so careful about how fresh your breath smells. And your wife asks you, did you brush your teeth? And you say yes, but it was a complete lie. <laughs> because you don't care anymore. The honeymoon is over. <laughs> it can happen that way with church. Uh, we are excited because God is doing something amazing. And that zeal and that excitement uh, carries us a little way. And then it can happen maybe where it wears off. Um, and then you're not excited. And you start to see all the problems that our fellowship or our church has. And I would be the first to agree. If anybody raises a problem, I probably would agree with you. You're like, yep, I, I know. I agree with you. That's definitely a problem. But here's the beautiful thing is what God does is he does it in, uh, I tried saying his name a couple weeks ago. Gamaliel, no, not Gamaliel. Gamaliel, the Pharisee that said in Acts, I believe it was chapter 8, who said, who stood up for the disciples, he says, if it's of God, then how dare we go against it because it will be successful. But if it's of man, don't worry about going against it because it will fail. You know, and it's the same with us here. Um, I believe what God is doing, it is of God. And that's all we have to worry about is what is God doing? And you can boil it down to something very simple. What is God doing in my life? Because in these days, if you are a believer and you believe in Jesus Christ, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God wants to do something in your life personally. Because you go out in the streets and there's very few people who will stand up for truth. 
There are very few people out there that say, Jesus Christ is God. That, that man I was down there talking with, he is from Cameroon, and he has an idea of who God is. He said he's a believer, and I believe him, because that's what he said. But a lot of people have a different idea of who God is, right? But when there's somebody who holds up the word of God and says, God, this is who you are. There is faults in our life. And we're going to see that here in Luke chapter 8. There are faults in our life. But, but God is in our life. So let's turn to Luke chapter 8. And we are going through the series. Uh, do we have, have any of these left? Mm-hmm. I've lost mine three times. <laughs> So we're in Luke chapter 8. We're going through this series called Encountering Jesus. We talked about John the Baptist in John chapter 1. Um, the wedding, Pastor Jason talked about in John chapter 2. Uh, the Saturian, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, uh, Pastor Jason talked about that one. Nicodemus, John 3, I did that one. And last week, Pastor Gary did John chapter 4. And there's no recording. How come? He's silent over there. So this week we have the demoniac, Luke chapter 8. We've got a couple more weeks. And the, the theme is encountering Jesus. And we want to look through the Bible and we want to see different encounters that Jesus had with man. Because it is my belief and it is the belief that the Bible teaches us that God is still interested in encountering us, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's not a God of the Old Testament. He is. But he is also the God of the New Testament. It doesn't stop there. That he continues to this present day. Acts chapter 2 is real. It is continuing today in our life. Luke chapter 8 is real. And we're going to read this story here in Luke chapter 8 where there is a demon-possessed man. And you know what? That's what happens today. I believe that you go out in the streets and there are some people that are possessed with a demon. I don't go around, you know... Slaying everybody and casting out demons all day long. But I do say that there are some out there that might need it. <laughs> and how Jesus reveals himself in Luke chapter 8 is the same way that he's going to reveal himself today. As he revealed himself in, in John 1, 2, 3, and 4 to these different people, Matthew chapter 8, Luke 8, it is the same way that he is revealing himself today. Because he never changes. Amen? <laughs> That's one thing I love. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. There is an accuser in verse 10, but he never changes. And how do we overcome the devil? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's because we have a testimony of how Christ is encountering us today. So... Let me get to that verse now. <laughs> Maybe, um, could we have somebody come up here and use the microphone and read Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39? This is like middle school again. Don't make me pick somebody. <laughs> okay, boy, yeah. So 26 through 39. 
and they arrive at the country of the uh, Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land there, met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time and wear, no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bonds, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then he went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found a man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also, which so it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Uh, to 39, sorry. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes ran about besought, besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man, out of whom the devils were departed, besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thy own house, and shew how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus hath done unto him. It's a great story, isn't it? Could you imagine, you know, being possessed with a legion of demons? So a legion is anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers, right? A Roman legion. So there were many, many demons in this man. And it says for a long time he was naked without clothes. He was in the wilderness. They tried to chain him. They tried so many things to contain him, but nothing worked. Could you imagine living in that kind of bondage? I mean, uh, we live in a society today where we are so wealthy that our bondage seems so small compared to him, yet we complain so much. But here is a man who is in a kind of bondage that hurts his mind, his soul, and his body. He was emotionally, spiritually, 
and physically in bondage. A lot of our bondage is, you know, I believe, self-induced. <laughs> you know, you, you, you go to Starbucks and you, and you buy a Frappuccino and you get hooked on Starbucks Frappuccinos. And then one day you don't have a Starbucks Frappuccino and you're like, have a terrible day. And you ask God, why? Why was such a day? You know, we ask God these kind of silly things. Oftentimes our bad days really are self-induced or just, honestly, just a part of life. But here is a man who is in great bondage. And I want you to look at something. Right in the very beginning in verse 26. And they were sailed to the country of the Gar, uh, Gadarenes. The Gadarenes. You know what that word means? It means this. It means a stranger drawing near. That's what the name of the city, the area means. A stranger drawing near. And what happened with Jesus? You know, he's, he's over in Galilee talking with his family. He hops on a boat. What happens on the boat? There's a storm. Yeah, there's a storm. And he tells his disciples, why do you have such little faith? Then he goes to this place where the title of the city is, a stranger is drawing near. He comes there and guess what? He is a stranger. <laughs> he goes there and what is he met with? Not a group of people who have heard the accolades of Jesus, who seek his wisdom and seek his healing. No, he is met with a demon. He is met with a man who is in bondage, who is possessed with a demon. And what does he do? He casts it out. And what is his payment? His payment is that the nation asks, the people ask him to depart. Because they are afraid. It's interesting. We see these things. Was Jesus was a stranger in this city. Number one is that on the way he was met with a raging storm. We said that. Number two, upon arrival he was met with a demon. Number three, the gift is met by the community with hostility. They became angry at Jesus for healing this man. Because the demons went into the pigs and the pigs ran off the cliff. And now, guess what? I mean, how many demons can fit in one pig, you know? It's a good math, math problem. I don't know the answer to it. But it was a herd of swine, and they were filled, and they were all gone. So that was somebody's prophets. They were angry at Jesus. That's why they asked him to depart. And he was forced out of the city. Was Jesus a stranger in this city? I like to ask you this question and we can discuss it a little bit amongst ourselves. Did Jesus know that he was going to be the stranger in this story? I think it's a good question. Did Jesus know that he was going to be the stranger in this story? And if he knew, would he have changed his decision to go to this city? Okay, so the first part of the question, Bobby, is do you think Jesus knew that he was going to be the stranger? I do. You think he knew? No. Okay. Because it's interesting. Anybody else? We all have very good Bible scholars here. Stephen? I think he knew. 
Yeah, you think you knew? I think we all think you knew, right? Well, of course, because we're all good Bible students. I mean, let's look at these verses. Matthew chapter 12. We don't have to turn there. Verse 25. And it says, And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said. Matthew 22, verse 18. But Jesus perceived their malice. Meaning, again, he knew their thoughts. And he said. <laughs> Mark 2, verse 8. It says, Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit, and then he said. Luke verse six, cha- uh, chapter six, verse eight says, "But he knew what they were thinking, and he said." Luke eleven seventeen, but he knew their thoughts, and said to them. And the greatest one is John chapter two, verse twenty five. He himself knew what was in man. I mean, of course, Jesus knew that he was a stranger. That was approaching the city. But do you know what? We read the story of Jesus and never before was he met with such hostility up until now. I mean, as Jesus becomes more public in his ministry, he is welcomed by the poor and rejected by the religious leaders. Actually, we see this. He's rejected by the religious leaders and by those in his own country, right? In Nazareth. He never went back there to do any more miracles because he was rejected by his own. It says that he was rejected so much that he couldn't even do miracles. Imagine that. And then here, again, he is met with hostility. But Jesus still knew. Jesus still knew. And it didn't change his decision to go through all that trouble to meet this man who is bound by a demon. It didn't change his mind. Now this is amazing because we think about it in many different ways. How does God know us? What does God know about us? And if he knew, or if he knew what would become of me, then would he change how he has used me, or how he is going to use me? And we read in all these verses, it says, He knew, he knew, he knew, he knew, he perceives, he understood the mind of men, and then he had something to say. And I would say the same thing is happening today, that Jesus understands in John chapter 2, verse 25, he knows what is in man. He knows what is inside of you. And you know what? I am here to tell you today that it hasn't changed Jesus' decision to minister to you. It hasn't changed his decision to encounter you. It hasn't changed his decision to put a calling in your life. It hasn't changed his decision to call you a saint. I forgot the clock out of work. Sorry. <laughs> he, it hasn't changed his decision. And you look at all positional truths that are written in the Bible, 35 of them, and we got to maybe get a printout or something, and we look at all those positional truths and who we are inside of Christ, and it doesn't matter what is inside of me, those are still true. It doesn't matter your decision today, you are still a child of God. It doesn't matter what you do tomorrow, you are still a child of God. You are still a son of God. You are still a priest. 
you are still holy. You are still a saint. You are still, you know, you are still. And you could go through all the positional truths and say, no matter what I have done in the past, doesn't change who I am today in Christ. It doesn't matter what I do now, today, in my life, it doesn't change who I am in Christ. It doesn't matter what I do in the future, it doesn't change who I am in Christ. And that is why I'm very careful when I read stories about pastors who fail. And it is sad, and it is horrible, and we should take precautions in our church leadership. There should be accountability in my life, in everybody's life, that these things do not happen. And I should be held accountable if they do. But it doesn't change the fact that they are still saved by grace and that they are children of God. And they are men today that have been condemned by Christianity, that have been condemned by the world, and we will see them in heaven and they will have crowns on on their head. Because they invested into eternity and they made a mistake, yes, very bad, and I agree. You know, last year, I think, uh, and, and there was a lot of bad news about some leaders. And I agree, very bad, and it should not happen. But I do say this. It doesn't change their position in Christ. Here's Jesus. He is stuck on a boat with disciples who have no faith and are scared of a little... I mean, they're fishermen. They live on a boat, and they're scared of a storm. You know, was it that bad of a storm or were they that weak in their faith? I don't know. Either one. It's funny. <laughs> then he is met with hostility with a demon. Then he is, you know, then he, the people in the community are hostile to them and he is shooed out of the area. He did all of that to reach one single man. That one single man had a legion of demons inside of him. And he says, I have to go. It's the same thing with a woman at the well, right? I must go through Samaria. Oh no, we are Jews. We go the long way. You know, that part of the city, it's not so beautiful. The squeegee boys might come and get you. (laughs) You know, there are some bad things down in the city. We're not going. No, no, we're going right through. We're not going the long way. We're going right through because... There is somebody who needs a touch from Jesus Christ. And that is us today. Jesus didn't care. So we see in these verses that Jesus not only knew what was in man, he not only knew what was going to happen, but he was also willing. I mean, I would say beyond willing, he is persistent, right? He will let nothing distract him from reaching this man. Verse 28 says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell out before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you to not torment me. Those are amazing words. (laughs) The demon knew who Jesus was. The demon knew to fall down and worship. And the demon knew that one day that he will be tormented. The demon knew these things. And he is falling before Jesus. But listen to this word. He says, what do I have to do with you, Jesus? 
What do I have to do with you, Jesus? You know, I want to say maybe a lot of times we are not demon-possessed, but maybe we have the same kind of attitude towards Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you know, he, 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 we go to church on Sunday and we say, well, that's enough. But Monday through Saturday, we say, Jesus, what do I have to do with you? <laughs> you know, meaning, actually, the translation can be translated a couple ways. One way is this. And what do I have in common with you, Jesus? You know, on Sunday, I have something in common with you. You know, we sing these amazing songs and we worship the Lord. And we, we shout to Him and we beg to Him and we, we praise Him. But on Monday morning, we're back at work, you know, with all the other hooligans, you know, the ruffians. And what is our confession? You know, where is our faith? You know, we see earlier in Luke chapter 8. You know, we could have that kind of attitude. What do we have in common? Or another way to translate it is what business do you have with us? <laughs> what business do you have with me? This is what the demons are saying. Because they know their time. They know that there is a future judgment and one day that they will be cast into the lake of fire. They know who Jesus Christ is. They know his authority. They know his position. They know the authority of God. That is why they so quickly fall down and bow down. You know, all the other people had no authority over this legion. The people that tried to chain him, the chains did nothing. The guards could do nothing. So he is in the wilderness. The pain from hurting himself could do nothing. The community could do nothing. He became a fixture in the community as somebody who once was and never will be again. That was who he was because of these demons. And the demons say, what business do you have with me now? I'm not finished with this man. <coughs> you know, in our lives, are there areas in our life where Satan has a stronghold? Those are powerful phrases. But there are areas in our life that I believe that we have not given over to God and we are bound in these areas of our life. And God is asking... And, and we can say to God, God, you know, what business is this of yours? You know, an interesting topic, you know, I was reading about the other night was spiritual coverings. You know, in the 1970s and 80s, there was this movement called the Shepherd Movement, where spiritual covering was a big part of the Pentecostal movement. And uh, it... it it kind of portrayed itself in more of a, an authoritarian way. And I believe now in you know, the 2000, you know, I'd say, you know, 18 to now, maybe even earlier, there has been a movement of younger people who have had a reverse reaction to the shepherd movement. The shepherd movement was like, you submit to me because I am your pastor, okay? And interesting conversation. We could talk about that sometime. And now what do we have people saying? Well, I don't have to go to church. I can find God in my gardening. I can find God in by myself. I don't need anybody to teach me. 
you have this complete reverse reaction to what has happened. And what are people saying? They're saying, God, what do I have to do? What business do you have with me? Because, God, I come to you with my business. You don't come to me. And here is Jesus. He is saying, no, no, no. I know it's not your time, demon, but it is this man's time to be healed. And when Jesus comes to us, he is not approaching He's approaching us in a way where it is time for us to be healed in an area in our life. And that is what is so important about us encountering God. When we look to Jesus, it can't be religion. It has to be relationship. Because if it's relationship, then I am allowed to encounter God and I am allowed to be healed and released from my chains. Because here's a man that says for a long time he was naked. With no, what, what does that mean? With no covering. What happened with Adam and Eve? They were naked. And what did they receive from God? They received a covering. And here is a man, he is in the wilderness, and he is naked, he is without a covering. And what does Jesus come to do? He comes to heal him and give him a covering. Jesus Christ is his covering. Jesus Christ came and healed. And the demon, we could say this, the demons are saying, what business do you have with me? And Jesus could say, what business do you have with my son? Because this here is a child of God. The demon's response to Jesus shows the authority of God in Christ. The demon's response to Jesus shows us the authority that Christ has. I want to look at this. Let's turn our Bibles to a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 27 it says, For he has put all things under his feet. Whose feet is that? Jesus. All things have been put under Jesus' feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. All things are put under Jesus' feet. All things, which means Jesus Christ has authority over all things. I mean, even when you read the story of Job, where does Satan go? To God, right? He had to get permission from God to do anything to Job. Zechariah chapter 3 you know, the high priest is being condemned by Satan. But where was Satan? He was next to God condemning him. And God, God uh, rebuked Satan and cleansed the high priest. Over and over and over again, we see that this world in one sense, yes, it belongs to Satan. But another way, it is all under Jesus' feet. Matthew 28, verse 18. You know, this semester I'm teaching, um, I'm teaching, what am I teaching? Intro to missions. 
in Bible college. And it's all about the Great Commission. But listen to this. Right in the beginning of the Great, Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Right in the beginning of the Great Commission, it says, All power is given to me. Jesus isn't talking to the disciples. All power is given to you. All power is given to you, so go make disciples. He's saying, no, all power is given to me. Now you can go make disciples. Well, hold on a second. Where does my authority come from? Here I am. I am a minister of God, or here I am. I am a believer, and I'm trying to gain victory in my life. And I read over and over and over again, yes, that Jesus Christ has authority. And if I just go to the cross and I crucify the flesh, then I'll have victory in my life. But over and over and over again, I find myself, I'm still in chains, and I'm still naked in areas of my life, and I am begging God to, to heal me. Why don't I have victory? You know, you have given me power. If I keep going, I keep going, I says God, but it says in Matthew 28, all power is given to God. So, one last verse, Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 12. These are amazing verses. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Where where does our strength come from? It comes from the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ doesn't have authority, then as a child of God, neither do I. If Jesus Christ is weak, then as a child of God, so am I. If Jesus Christ is insufficient, then as a child of God, so am I. But we read the demon's response to to Jesus, and we see that he has authority. We read Matthew 28, and we see that he has authority. We read 1 Corinthians, you know, and we read that he has authority. And we read Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, and we see that if we have strength, it has to be from the strength of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so my strength comes from God. So now the devil is scheming. Demons are at work in this world. Demons are at work in my life. Demons are at work in my marriage, in my family, at my job site. Demons are at work. He is scheming. So what do I have to do? Put on the armor of God. Well, where does the armor of God come from? It comes from God. <laughs> okay, we could go through the armor and we all, uh, you know, that's great. We've done that before. We, we understand the armor of God. But where does it come from? It comes from God. See, sometimes we take the armor of God and we subtract God and we look at the armor. All right, I got to put on you know the, the this, and I got to put on this, and the helmet of salvation, and all these things becomes items, but they become items away from God. See, here is the beautiful thing that as a believer, if I focus on God, then He will equip me. But if I focus on the equipping, I will be equipped without God. <laughs> How many times have we equipped ourselves? Spiritually, but we find ourselves insufficient because it's outside of the strength of God.
I mean, I have, you know, just as a preacher, I have studied and I've studied and I've equipped myself. And then I have preached. And it's like, <laughs> nothing was there. Because I did it out of my own knowledge. I have approached forgiveness outside of God and find that I couldn't forgive. I have approached love outside of God and found that I couldn't love. See, we need to approach these things with the strength of God for us to have the results of God. When we see the disciples, even themselves, they rejoice because they could heal and cast out demons, right? How do they do that? They did that in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how they were told to go out. In the name of Christ, in my name, go out and heal. But then there was one that they couldn't, right? How come? Because they weren't prayed up. Jesus says this one comes out only by prayer and fasting. There was something missing in their life. They were missing prayer. They were missing part of the strength of God. Ephesians 6.12. Listen to this. For we do not wrestle, we know this verse, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I'd like you to understand that whatever is going on in your life, it is not from man. You know, that little thing that you were talking about on the ride up, you know, you all had this kind of negative energy, we could call it, right? You were all kind of negative about this thing that was happening. And you said it earlier, right, Ryan? You said that we all had a, a spirit, and it was the wrong spirit. What was happening? That there was a spiritual warfare going on at that moment to take away the healing of God. And I dare to say that more often than not, the things that we are wrestling have nothing to do with personalities, have nothing to do with money, have nothing to do with the workplace, have nothing to do with, you know, am I hungry or not? It has a lot to do with demonic forces in my life. And the devil wants to take you out. The devil doesn't want you here tonight. The devil doesn't want you to keep coming. The devil will put projections saying, well, hey, you know, uh, maybe you have a problem with the, the group being small on a Thursday night. Or maybe you have a problem with, you know, the, the slides or something. Or maybe you have a problem with something I have said. Or maybe you have a problem with something that somebody else has said. Or maybe there's a burden in your heart about somebody in your family. And it keeps you away from Jesus. The devil is very concerned about you encountering Jesus. <laughs> That's why the demon said, what business do you have with me? Meaning, hey, you came all the way over here. And some people believe that this city was a Gentile city. The first Gentile city that Jesus ever went to. You know, you would come all the way over here to a Gentile city. What business do you have? And Jesus says, I want you to be healed. Talking past the demons to the child, I want you to be healed. And the demons are in the way of the healing. 
There are many things in the way of us getting healing. Don't allow the things that Satan is bringing up in our lives to stop us from being healed. Don't allow Satan to bring things into your life to stop you from encountering Jesus. Because Jesus tonight wants to meet you. He wants to meet you right where you're, right where you're at. And he doesn't care about all your baggage. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. All he cares about is the person. He wants to minister to you tonight. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this message in Luke chapter 8. It's an amazing story. What I love about the story is that a demon-possessed man who had thousands of demons inside of him became a great missionary. (laughs) Here we are tonight, and we're asking ourselves, am I qualified? Who am I? Look at my, you know, and you fill in the blank. You know, here are a list of my problems. Here are a list of my sins. Here are a list of the skeletons in the closet. Here's a list, you know, here's my age, young or old. And we can have all these excuses. And Jesus says, no, I want to encounter you today. I want to have an encounter with you today. I want to minister. I want to heal you. I want to heal you. Jesus, we ask that you will come into our life. And you will begin the healing process. I pray that you will use the messages to heal us. I pray that you'll use the fellowship to heal us. I pray that there could be a word that one of us shares with each other in conversation that heals us, that the music could heal us. I mean, just the presence, just stepping into the presence of God could heal us. Lord, we are a people that are broken and we need to be healed. We need to be encouraged. We need to be edified. We need to realize that we are loved by you, God, despite our failures. We just thank you and we praise you for this message and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.